0: Alright, right. we'll be in Ephesians chapter 3 and then eventually we'll make our way over to Philippians chapter number 1 as we'll look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians and then we'll start looking at another one of Paul's prayers and this one to the Philippians and this is part of our series on the armor of God as we have looked at prayer and now have been looking at specific prayers Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer that serves as a guide or a template that helps us know how to pray, and then some example prayers as we have spent a couple of weeks looking at Ephesians 3, and then we'll go to Philippians 1. Again, we're using Ephesians 6 and verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Paul's prayer for the Ephesians in Ephesians 3 verses 14 through 21 we see Paul's address and we see the purpose in his prayer in verse 14 for this cause I bow my knees unto the father of our lord Jesus Christ Paul prayed with purpose for the spiritual growth for the spiritual maturity for the development of Christ likeness in the lives of the, the Ephesians. And in turn, that prayer by the inspiration, the preservation of God's word, that is a prayer for us and a prayer that we can pray for others. And again the emphasis on the spiritual growth and development and not so much of an emphasis on all of the physical, though obviously God is at work, even in the physical needs and in the the suffering and the trials. There's a purpose in that, and we pray for God's will to be done. We pray for Christ's likeness, for God's purpose and plan. But ultimately, there is a desire for the Lord for us uh, to grow spiritually, and we see Paul's burden for that. We see he prayed with humility, the phrase, bow my knees. We see the emphasis on Father, on family, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we looked at Paul's appeal and uh, we see here the prayer for power and that power would be obviously from the lord according to the riches of his glory be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man so this is being strong in the lord in the power of his might strengthened in the inner man speaking of character speaking of our integrity that we develop internally in our character in our integrity in our whole inner man that we be strengthened with might, that we be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, led by the Spirit. We see in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Again, the idea of Christ being at home in our lives, the idea of Him being preeminent, of Him being first place and orienting our lives around Christ, our priorities being Spiritual priorities, the priorities that Scripture lays forth and the promises and the principles of the Word of God and the commands of the Word of God, and then rooted and grounded in love and the importance of our love for God, obviously, and the outflow of our love for God is love for neighbor. And again, we go back to the two greatest commandments as Jesus summarized them. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love thy neighbor as... Thyself, And we are to be rooted, the idea of roots going down deep, grounded in love. And again, this is love as defined by the Bible, by Scripture. Not love is love, or a therapeutic love, or a lust that the world often tries to describe or define as love. No, the world has a completely twisted and often perverted view of love. This is obviously biblical love grounded in the holiness of God, rooted in the character of God. We love him because he first loved us. And out of that love for God comes an agape love, a sacrificial love for others of serving and loving one another and forgiving and mercy and all of that. And then in verse 19, we see spiritual maturity and to know the love of Christ. There it is again, the the word love, which passeth knowledge That ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is speaking to, again, that spiritual maturity, that growth in Christ's likeness. That is the desire of Paul in this prayer. That's the desire of, uh, of any pastor for his people, but that's the desire of a parent for their children, a grandparent for their grandchildren, the desire that we should have as brothers and sisters in Christ for one another, that there be a maturity in spiritual things, in growth, in Christ-likeness, in development of the fruit of the Spirit. And we'll talk about in Philippians what Paul's emphasis is in his prayer in Philippians 1 and how he mentions or emphasizes an aspect of spiritual maturity. And then finally, we summarize in verses 20 and 21 Paul's prayer by looking at these two verses. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So we see in verse 20, unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. What, what again, does the charismatic or the Pentecostal interpretation of this verse, what does it emphasize? It emphasizes this idea that I think exceeding and abundant thoughts About God. And in doing that, I then can have God fulfill my dreams, my goals, my visions according to my abundant thoughts. I am the one who taps into God's exceeding abundant power as I have these exceeding and abundant thoughts, and then God does these exceeding and abundant things according to. He does these exceeding and abundant things according to my will and my desires and my fashions and my interests. And it's twisted. It's looking at Scripture and taking, yes, we have a great and mighty God who is able to do things that are incomprehensible, that are beyond our imagination, beyond our ability to completely describe and understand. And taking that in actually kind of taking God and bringing him down to man's level and acting as if all the thoughts that I have, desires and dreams and views and visions are the things that God just needs to put his stamp of approval on. And if I just say the right things, I have the right thoughts, and then you have the word faith movement that I speak my destiny into existence. And you have the whole Joel Olstein crowd and that word faith movement and a lot of those Pentecostal, Charismatics, and, and I don't mean to throw all the Pentecostals into the same bunch. I know some good Pentecostal people who I believe are truly born again, uh, but they even get caught up in, in some of that. But the, the, the hardcore charismatics that are often there on TV with the healings and all of the multi-million dollar fleets of cars and private jets and jewelry. Did you hear about the charismatic preacher up in New York City? He had a million dollars worth of jewelry stolen from him in the church service. The criminals came in, the robbers came in during the church service, and they robbed him and his wife of a million dollars worth of jewelry from their very person in the church service. Now, you can go through all of my wallet, and you can go through everything that I've got, and you can go through Kelly's purse, and you ain't going to find a million dollars worth of stuff. I'm sorry. And I'm not saying that to complain i'm just saying that's not what we're made of but isn't that the way some of those churches are it's all about the money and the and the flashy the bling and the drip and the whatever you want to call it you know that's out there today and they they flash all their cars and their their money and their jewelry and that's a sign of the prosperity that they have been given from god that demonstrates his blessing and so all you poor people out there you just don't have the faith. You just don't have the trust. You just talk too negative. You think too many negative thoughts. If you just had these exceeding and abundant thoughts and you had these very positive uh, kinds of, of attitudes and words and spirit, then you would have the millions of dollars of jewelry and riches and planes and cars like I do. right? But isn't it interesting? They always stay a cut above. They always stay in their exclusive circle. What is this saying? And I've borrowed this... This statement uh, from another source, I can't take credit for this summary, but I I like how uh, the commentator summarizes these two verses. As the fullness of God becomes a reality in a believer's life, so the unlimited power of God works in and through the believer. For riches and wealth and success and fame, no. For what? For God to accomplish his will And God is fully and greatly glorified. It's about God and about his kingdom and about his will. And often that results in sacrifice and service. Does it sometimes result in material blessing? Sure. Does it sometimes result in riches? Yes. Putting biblical principles into practice, living a decent life, living a moral life, has shown to breed a level of success and material prosperity. But that's not why we serve the Lord, to get material prosperity. We serve the Lord, we do His will, we obey Him, that He might be glorified, that His kingdom would be furthered, that God's will be accomplished. And we often have to get out of the way, ourselves and our selfishness and our selfish desires. We have to get out of the way so God's unlimited power works in and through the believer. And we have to be uh, the uh, spirit-filled, spirit-controlled individual, humbled and in serving the Lord, submitted to him. And that's really what these verses are all about. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we can ask or think, beyond what we can even imagine. God providentially works, but it's according to the power that worketh in us. And again, it's his power. It's not me Getting enough gumption, enough spiritual energy, thinking enough good thoughts, having enough positive vibes to get the good things happen, to, to happen. And uh, it's, not, it's not like the, the world tries to portray. And again, the, the charismatics, again, I pick on them uh, sometimes, uh, maybe too much, but they're, they're often twisting the word of God and deceiving people. I, I remember being in Africa and I, I remember us as uh, with the missionaries, we'd be, we'd be going along the the streets that were just potholes and traffic like you couldn't believe. A, a rainstorm like this would basically put the city of Nairobi in gridlock. But there would be these tents along the side of the road and they would be evangelists from America coming over or another country off in America coming over to these tent revival meetings and they'd be charismatics and they would get offerings and they would take so much money from the people who were impoverished and then they would pack up their tent and run off to another country or eventually back to America and they were ripping the people off and the missionaries were so frustrated because they would knock on doors they'd witness to the people we would meet people in the streets And they could talk the Jesus lingo. They could talk about an experience they had at the tent meeting back when preacher so-and-so, apostle, bishop so-and-so. And and then we would witness to them and, oh, they've got Jesus. They're saved because they had an experience at the tent revival by bishop so-and-so. Very, very frustrating. And I've known people through the years who, again, they twist and manipulate this verse as well as others and it becomes very selfish and self-centered. These verses and this prayer is about God and His glory and God doing His work in our lives for Him, for His will and for His glory. So then that brings us to Philippians chapter number 2. I'm sorry, Philippians chapter number 1, excuse me. So we're going to be in Ephesians and then go over to Philippians, just a few pages over, to Philippians chapter number 1. And this is another example prayer i want to look at for a few minutes. We've uh, looked at the disciples' prayer, or the Lord's prayers; as it's often called. We've looked now at Ephesians 3, and then we're going to look at Philippians 1. And then, uh, Lord willing, over the next couple of weeks, we'll look at a couple of prayers from the Old Testament as we uh, finish up this series on the armor of God. Philippians 1, in verse number 9, Paul writes this, "...and this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment." that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. We see in Paul's prayer that it is a prayer. What is the purpose for biblical discernment? Now, Philippians, the, the church at Philippi, it started how? There wasn't a synagogue in Philippi. Down by the river, there were a group of people who were gathering. And there was uh, uh, a lady saved, and her name escapes me at the, at the moment. Uh, she was saved, uh, Lydia, right, the seller of purple. Okay, And then from there, the, the church uh, started. But remember, Paul and Silas were thrown into prison in Philippi. And there was the Philippian jailer that night who thought he was going to die because the gates of the prison were opening up. And remember, Paul and Silas sang that night. And that Philippian jailer, when those doors flung open to the prison, he thought the prisoners were going to escape. He was going to be executed for not being able to keep the prisoners. And he said, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas said, do a bunch of good works, work real hard. Turn out to you know, reform your life and be a good Joe. Is that what he said? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house as well. And that night, the Philippian jailer got saved in his house. There was a revival and the Philippian church began. Now, what does Paul pray for with the Philippians? In the book of Philippians, there's the theme of rejoicing, of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. That's an obvious theme in Philippians. But what does he pray for? He prays specifically for the Philippians who are young in the faith. They're first generation Christians. And he's praying for their spiritual growth and development specifically in what area? In biblical discernment. And it begins with a love for God. He prays that their love would abound. That word abound means to exceed. It means to excel Okay, and that love is not a mushy, therapeutic, sappy kind of love. This is not that crush that the kindergarten boy has for his kindergarten teacher. Okay, did any of you have a crush on your your teacher, one of your teachers? I, I'll admit I did. My third grade teacher. I I thought Miss Bridget, I thought Miss Bridges was the greatest thing, and. Uh, You know, she lived down the street from me and we'd drive by her house sometimes and, you know, I had one of those little little crushes as a little elementary kid. Okay? We laugh at those, the butterflies in the stomach and those infatuations. That's not what this love is. This is, again, that rooted and grounded love for God. Notice what Paul writes here. For there to be biblical discernment, for there to be real discernment, spiritual maturity, it begins with an abounding, excelling, exceeding love for God. Because what, when we truly love in the way that God describes and defines love, what does love do? How does it motivate us? It motivates us to truly do what is best, to truly please that individual in a way that would honor God, in a way that would glorify the Lord. So in that love for God, we are loving Him in a way that we know Him better. We know what God loves. We know what God hates. We desire to do what God loves, what pleases Him, and we don't want to do what displeases Him. So this love is with a genuine, full, advanced knowledge. This is knowing Christ. This is knowing God. This is an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord that motivates our lives for spiritual discernment. The opposite kind of knowledge or love would be a superficial, a shallow, or a fake kind of love. I just made a little joke about a crush. Um, We also have loves for things. Maybe... Uh, some of you love cars, or you love a certain sport, or it might be a certain activity that you enjoy—fishing or hunting—or—or—I'm or, sorry, ladies, I'm—I'm—I'm I'm, I'm failing to to think of some examples of uh, some of the things that that you might uh, enjoy. Um, I guess I'm saying things more from a guy's perspective, but whatever it is that we we love, that we enjoy, that we we spend money on, that we think about, that we schedule and we plan. We show our love. And ultimately, in, in some ways, we show our love in how we spend our money, in how we spend our time. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't love God because we spend eight hours at work. No, that's part of the expression of our love is having a job and going to work. Maybe our work is at home. Maybe our work is out in a factory or... Uh, some other uh, workplace, but whatever our work is, wherever our vocational calling is, even that can be done in the love for God. This is what God has given me to do. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Even the psalmist prays, prays and, 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 and writes to bless our, our work, the work of our hands, uh, Lord, bless bless the work of our hands. So that is even an expression of our love for God. Even changing diapers and all the things that come with raising kids. It's an expression of love for God. These are who God has given. That's one of the things that this, that makes me uh, so angry with this whole pro-abortion movement. Is the way kids are treated and talked about as Problems. An unborn child, pregnancy is poison. It's a disease. We're we're now teaching our young ladies to hate their bodies and to hate the way God made them to be able to have children. That's evil. To tell a young lady who is specifically designed by God, I'll tell you right now as a man, I don't want to have a baby. But it sure gives me a lot more appreciation and respect for my wife who's had four. There is a strength that God's given a woman in the design that God made for her children in the way God designed her. And for the culture in which we live to hate that and to teach young people to hate their bodies and to tell a young man he needs to act more like a girl and be effeminate. And dress in drag, and be a wimp, and talk with a lisp, because he actually probably is a little girl, and he just doesn't know it yet, or he needs to. Fight. That that's that, that's awful stuff. We're we're being taught by our culture to hate the way God made us and designed us, to hate the things that God has given us as gifts including our work, including the joys of family and parenting and all the blessings that God gives us. We are now taught by our culture to hate those things. That is the direct opposite. So no wonder we can't discern when we are buying into a lie from the devil to hate the things that God has designed, that God has ordered for our good, for blessing, for joy, as part of his love for us, when we are hating those things, no wonder we can't discern. No wonder we can't tell good from evil. When I hear a, the, the lyrics of a particular superstar celebrity, and I'm listening to a commentator, a podcast, and he's reading the lyrics, and the only offensive word of all of the garbage, the sewage of that song, the only offensive word is a word that is disparaging to the disabled. Everything else that she said was okay. Now, I'm not saying it's okay to use that disparaging word toward a disabled, a special education uh, individual, a special needs individual. I'm not saying it was right for her to use that word, but the, the, the culture says that's the only word that should be changed. There was raw sewage that that lady was puking forth, but the only thing that the culture says that she needs to change is that one word that was offensive towards the disabled. And there are believers, Christians, young people I know that were buying her albums, downloading her albums, can't even walk by the music aisle and look at the cover of her album because she's so poorly clothed. And Christians are buying her albums by the millions and the dozens of millions of dollars. How is that a love for God? How is that producing any discernment? How is that giving us any knowledge of the Lord for our souls and the purity of our minds and our hearts and our lives? If we're filling our hearts and our minds and we call ourselves believers and we're filling our knowledge of our mind and our heart and our soul with garbage and sewage of this world. We've heard it said, garbage in, garbage out, right? What should we love? God and holiness and purity and righteousness and all that God portrays in His Word and desires for us to have. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, or just, pure, lovely, of good report. Think on these things. That's what God wants for us, and that's the best for us. God wants what is best for us. God wants us to have moral perception, insight, and application. God doesn't want us to go through life in darkness, stumbling over all the mess of the world. God wants us to have the lamp and the light of his word. God wants us to have the mind of Christ as we go through life. And many times we see Christians don't have maturity. They don't have biblical discernment. Because there's no real true knowledge of God and love for the Lord. And here he is writing to Philippians, and we'll have to come back to this next week. But here he is writing to Philippians, a first generation church, a generation full of first generation Christians, and he's saying, You're going to have to deal with a really depraved culture, Roman first century culture. And what does he want for them to have? Spiritual maturity, discernment, knowledge of God that will open their eyes to avoid evil and to love what is right. And may that be for us as well. We're only only getting started in in this prayer. It's an an exceptional prayer, but we see the heart of Paul and it helps us so much in our prayer life and how we should pray for others and pray for God to do in our lives, but also in how we should pray even for our children and for fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. And it begins with an abounding prayer love for God, and then we'll come back to this passage again, Lord willing, next week. All right, let's bow for prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. Lord, we thank you again for your word. Thank you, Lord, for giving us prayers, example prayers such as this, that help us to, to, to know how to pray for others and to uh, pray even for our own lives, to have uh, a discernment, a maturity that comes from a love for God, a love for the things that you love and a righteous hatred for the things that you hate and the things that you despise and that you don't want us to uh, get involved in or be a part of. Help us to avoid sin. Help us to uh, love righteousness. And, Lord, help us to increase in our love for you and our discernment and to make good biblical decisions for your honor and for your glory. And we pray you keep us safe as we travel home. Thank you again for the rain. Thank you, Lord, for your provisions for us. Pray you continue to guide and direct in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here tonight in spite of the, the rain. And I know some are out traveling on vacation or uh, there's some illness, but uh, look forward to being back on Saturday for men's breakfast and then Sunday for church. We'll see you then, Lord willing.